0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and welcome to Just Something About Her from The Recount and iHeartRadio. On this podcast, I talk to powerful women about how they made it to the top on their own terms. Here to help me introduce our next guest is my producer, Sari Soffer. You're excited about this one, right, Jen? Yes,
1: I am. Excited. <laughs> <laughs> coach Muffet McGraw is on the show today. She was the former women's basketball coach at Notre Dame for more than 30 years. So she's been to her fair share of Sweet Sixteens and Final Fours. And we recorded this interview a few days after the Women's March Madness championship game that Stanford won and a few weeks after the NCAA was put under the spotlight for huge disparities between how they treated the men versus the women players in their separate March Madness bubbles this year. And since our world often moves on from these big stories too soon before they're actually fixed, we wanted to keep that conversation going because it is a big one in the way that women were treated.
0: Yeah, it was maddening.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: There was a video that Sedona Prince, who is a University of Arizona basketball player that she posted about the difference in the weight rooms that first got my attention. And then in the tournament themselves, it's like they didn't have the same promotion, the same decals. I noticed in watching the first round of the tournament in San Antonio, it said women's basketball in the center court. (laughs) Not March Madness like it did in the men's tournament.
1: Actually, the women don't use, or at least they don't use the March Madness branding for women like on social media and stuff like that. I did see that. And I saw that the men's division one championship budget was twice the size of the women's. Their staff is twice as big. But get this, some good news. Ratings just came out for both the women's and men's games. And according to AP, the women's championship ratings went up 9% from 2019, while the men's went down 14%. Still, the women had significantly fewer viewers, but you can't tell me that, you know, things aren't changing. And
0: the women had more viewership for their Sweet 16 games.
1: Yeah, things are looking up. But anyway, so I've gotten us off track. Coach McGraw retired from the NCAA last year. So can you explain why you wanted her on the show today?
0: So she is somebody I've had my eye on for a while because she's not just been an important leader advocating for women's sports. She's really pushed the boundaries of what that Mm -hmm. means. The easiest way to explain that is to play a clip from the 2019 Women's Final Four press conference where she was asked about her practice of only hiring women as assistant coaches.
2: Did you know that the Equal Rights Amendment was introduced in 1967 and it still hasn't passed We need 38 states to agree that discrimination on the basis of sex is unconstitutional. How are these young women looking up and seeing someone that looks like them, preparing them for the future? We don't have enough female role models. We don't have enough visible women leaders. We don't have enough women in power. Girls are socialized to know when they come out, gender roles are already set. Men run the world. So yes. When you look at men's basketball, and 99% of the jobs go to men, why shouldn't 100 or 99% of the jobs in women's basketball go to women? Maybe it's because we only have 10% women athletic directors in Division One. People hire people who look like them, and that's the problem.
0: This is a cycle. We don't value women as much as men. So less money and resources are put into women's careers and women's sports. So the league makes less money, which is every guy's argument for why it's not valued. And we go back to square one and we don't move beyond that. We Mm -hmm. don't get to the root of the problem. And she's trying to get to the root of the problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Actually, Hillary Clinton brought this up when you interviewed her for the podcast a couple of weeks ago. She had former U.S. soccer player Abby Wambach on her show talking about how she had won an ESPN Icon Award alongside men like Kobe Bryant, who are clearly set for life. And Abby told Secretary Clinton that she walked out of the award ceremony worried about how to pay her mortgage.
0: Yeah, you know, it just like it hits you in your gut, like how unfair that mm-hmm. is. And sports is a great way to sort of unearth these things because you can objectively... Say if someone's better than another person, right? Mm -hmm. Like Abby Wambach was the best women's soccer player. She had the most goals. So she should be on par with Kobe Bryant and Peyton Mm -hmm. Manning, who were the best in their field. But anyway, let's (laughs) talk to Coach McGraw because she knows even more. Coach Muffet McGraw, thank you so much for joining us on Just Something About Her. I'm a big fan I included you in my book, uh, She Proclaims a Declaration of Independence for a Man's World. I see you like my former boss, Hillary, is a pioneer in the kind of thinking that I think women and men both have to sort of wrap our heads around if we're actually going to get to the root of the problems of what's holding women back. So I'm really excited that you agreed to be on.
2: I'm excited, too. And I love the name of your podcast. It is so perfect.
0: Right. I don't know. There's just something about her. <laughs> I want to start off by talking about what's happened at this year's NCAA tournament, um, which just really illuminates how differently the men and women's college athletes are treated and valued. But Coach, you've been to a lot of Final Fours. So I want to hear from you, What what is it like for the women to go through this tournament versus the men?
2: Well, normally it's a great experience. Obviously, just being sure. there is a great experience in itself. But because they weren't really side by side, you know, we didn't, really know everything that was going on in the men's final four but this year because of the pandemic and the way it was set up both teams did the exact same thing they bubbled 64 teams in two locations and so when you looked at it side by side It was incredible. You turned on the game. You looked at the court and the women are playing in a gym that looks like a high school gym. It's got a volleyball lines down. It's got a men's three-point line. It's got the logos of these different schools that we're playing at. It's dark. And then you turn the men's game on and it's got this March Madness logo that apparently the NCAA didn't allow us to use. And then you look and the men have this expansive weight room and we had a set of dumbbells. And, and the food was ridiculous. I think people think women don't eat. These athletes, they like to eat. And, they oh, they're just girls. Let's just give them this little snack. And, you know, so they're hungry all the time. And they're, the, the way they did the food was different. The testing was different. The men had the gold standard testing.
0: I mean, that is what is the most appalling, is yes. that you can see how it might happen. Because I'm sure the, I don't know, but I can imagine the conversation in Indianapolis, right? Because that's where the NCAA yeah. is. is, mm-hmm. is saying, well... We only have so many good tests, and there's just gonna be more people in Indianapolis to watch the men. It's just how it is. Therefore, the bad test, you go to San Antonio, and they're never linking it all together. It's like you're saying, like, we shouldn't fight cancer because it kills people, (laughs) as opposed to understanding (laughs) that is the problem. The problem is you don't value women the same as men. And in college, perhaps, and I know you've spoken about this, perhaps in college, before you get into the real world, we can model for the world what it looks like to value women the same as men.
2: And that's, we had a golden opportunity to do that. We could have been the sports raising up society and saying, this is what it should look like. We've got great diversity. We're so inclusive. We got all these great things going for us and they just completely failed. And it was so disappointing. And you hit the nail on the head, Jennifer. It's, it's not these little things. It's not the weight room and the food and all this. It's just, they didn't even notice. They yeah. didn't even notice. or They noticed and they thought it was okay. They thought it was okay because they
0: they justify it by saying the men bring in more money. Until the women bring in more money, that's just how it's going to be. But women are never going to bring in more money if they're not given a level playing field.
2: Right. And the way they negotiate the contracts with CBS and Turner... They limit us. They don't activate the same sponsorship. We don't have the same promotions. We don't have the same opportunities. You know, it doesn't look the same. And ESPN does a great job for the women, but we could be doing so much more. And the nca they don't even value us enough to try to sell some of these great things that we have in order to give us the money so that we can make more money.
0: I know that the, I believe it was the commissioner of the Pac-12 had done some things to try to raise the profile of women's basketball. And, you know, he had done some things like put tournaments in the same cities. That's like kind of helped lifts all boats and some other steps like that, that, you know, seem to maybe have had some impact in the Pac-12. But what do you think are steps that the NCAA should take now that would help, you know, get at the root of the problem of actually valuing the women athletes as much as we value the men?
2: Well, I think the first thing they need to do is change the structure at their headquarters, because what happens is the women's basketball vice president actually reports to the men's basketball vice president. (gasps) Oh, stop. Right. (laughs) So, you know, that's like us reporting to our men's basketball coach. You know, it makes absolutely no sense. And it also carries a pretty good message that you're not as important as the men. You got to go through him to, to get everything done. So to me, that's the first step.
0: I mean, wow. Yeah, that is <laughs> junior varsity.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: That is literally what they are saying.
2: Yeah, and if you look at their staff, the men have 12, the women have six. In everything, if you go down the line, you know, who's promoting the men's tournament? You know, all these people. Who's promoting the women's tournament? Like, well, we'll see what's left over. So I think no matter what you look at, the women are treated as less than.
0: You know, Sedona Prince, it was the one, the Arizona player that really made that video about the women's weight room go viral.
2: Yeah. I got something to show y'all. So for the NCAA March Madness, the biggest tournament in college basketball for women, this is our weight room. Let me show y'all the men's weight room. And isn't it great though? this generation, I mean, my generation would have been like, oh, wow, they gave us some dumbbells. That was so thoughtful. (laughs) And this generation is saying, oh, no, I want that weight room that the men have. And I want all the things that they have. And I love it. They're so ready to fight for equality.
0: The like the sardonic look on her face when she was like, and let (laughs) me show you the men. (laughs) (laughs) And what I hate to think is that your players the players reaction to seeing all this is to be demoralized, but it just seemed to piss the women off and sort of fire them up, which is sort of like a breaking point that a lot of us, you know, I've certainly reached, you know, seemed like you reached in 19, but how do the women react when they are constantly dealt this blow after blow the men are better than you?
2: Yeah. It's a great place to be, isn't it? I wanted to get, I always say, get through that grief stage, get to the angry stage. <laughs> That's where I want you to be ready to fight. And because, you know, they, they haven't had to fight a whole lot of battles yet. So it's the women that are my age that are going like, oh my God, not again. How long do we have to put up with this? And these guys, it's new to them. So they're, they're just saying, hey, hold the brakes. We're, uh, we're going to fight for this right now.
0: Yeah, they won't tolerate it. So can you tell us, I think it's useful for people to hear, what are the factors that do continue to keep women's basketball, in this case, from reaching the kind of audiences, the respect that the men receive? You know, I was you know, tweeting back when the women's soccer team had their equal pay lawsuit and some man responded to me and said, well, you see, the problem is (laughs) the problem is that the men's team brings in more revenue. I said, yes, I I understand that we built the market to value men over women. I, I get that. What we have to do now is change those incentives so that we are valuing women the same as men. But how does this manifest itself in women's sports?
2: Well, I think there's a couple of things that are happening on our side. You know, when Title IX came in, it was great for women in opportunities, but it also it raised the salaries, and so men started coming over because they couldn't get a job in the men's side, so they wanted to come over and take advantage of these big salaries. And I think men and women interview differently. I think that men are better networkers; they're a little more confident, sometimes to the point of overconfidence in the interview process. And I think that. I just read an article that says people value uh, confidence over competence because you yes. go in, you, you win the interview, but then what you need to do the job is the competence part that wasn't what you needed to win the interview. So it's difficult. And I think they keep hiring men because it's generally white men doing the hiring as the athletics directors. Mm-hmm. And so it just compounds itself. And we have other issues about the way we interview and and how we can portray ourselves and how we can be better networkers. But I think we need opportunity and I think it's there. And I think we're just not getting the opportunity.
0: I remember thinking when I first saw men coaching women's basketball, Oh good. The men are taking an interest in the women. (laughs) That's how I saw it. You know, back in the day, I was like, oh, good, isn't that nice? I saw the fact that a man was coaching the women's team meant that the women players are being taken seriously. And then I started to see more and more men, more and more men, more and more men. And I noticed there were no women coaching the men. So, what I included in my book was from the press conference at the Final Four in 2019, when you said that you had had a practice, I'm going to continue to have a practice going forward of not hiring male coaches. And I included it because I thought, you know, that's what I'm talking about in terms of what needs to change because that's a relatively radical step, right? It's a controversial step to say you're not going to hire men. But until there is some kind of change, it's the kind of maybe it's even remedial action that we have to take to have women go somewhere?
2: It's really hard. Obviously, we don't have the opportunity to coach on the men's side. But I think one of the great things that happened after my remarks was now we're seeing all these pro sports hire women. And it's so exciting. The NBA is ahead of the curve. You know, they've got women, they're assistant coaches, they have front office personnel. We had the Super Bowl this year, we had a referee that was a female, we had two assistant coaches that were female. We have a woman who just is, become general manager of a major league baseball team. I think hockey has hired their first female skating coach. So it's happening. Right. It's been really slow, but I like that it's happening in pro sports. I would actually like to see it happening younger. You know, when your kids go out and they're five and six and they're playing soccer, it's always somebody's dad that's coaching the team. And there's so many women that have the ability. They played soccer, they played in college. Why don't they go out and show these boys that Their moms can be the coach. And then as they grow up, it's not unusual for them to see women leaders because they've had them all through their AAU and their club teams and even into high school. Let's get women coaching at the high school level, and then maybe we'll have it at the college level.
0: That is a good plan. All right, we have to take a break to play some ads. But after the break, I want to talk to you about how things have changed since you started playing basketball in college and if you thought things would be even better by now. That's next with the legendary former women's basketball coach at Notre Dame, Muffet McGraw, on Just Something About Her. Welcome back to Just Something About Her with Muffet McGraw, who coached the women's Notre Dame basketball team for 30 plus years. I want to hear what got you to that point, but let's start with your own college career when you played at St. Joe's. What trajectory did you think women's basketball and women's sports was on? And then what was the reality?
2: When I started playing just after Title IX came out in 1972. So I was playing sort of in the midst of it before it and when it came out. And we would sit on the gym floor and wait for the men to finish practice. And they would say, we're going to take as long as we want. So get comfortable over there. We'll let you know when we're done. And of course, we didn't have practice gear. We didn't get shoes or sneakers. We had to drive ourselves to the game. So we really had nothing. Even though it was just after Title IX came in, and then my first head coaching job at Lehigh University was pretty similar. We didn't get the same attention. We didn't have the marketing. We didn't get people in the stands. We definitely didn't have the same budgets. And then when I got to Notre Dame, I thought, well, now everything's going to change. It's going to be completely equal. And eventually, it was because it's a big time school, (laughs) or because it's a big time (laughs) basketball school, or or what? Yeah, because it was. It was. It was big. You know, we had football, so we had all the money, and they generously gave us money out of their everything that they made. But it wasn't at first anywhere near equal. Mm -hmm. And it was very similar. The assistant coach came up to me and he said, we're going to practice when we want for as long as we want. And then you guys can have the floor.
0: And are you thinking nothing's changed since high school in that moment? Or are you thinking that things are still going to get better? Are you thinking we're in a rut?
2: you know, I'm brand new. I'm at a job that I really want. I'm thinking, is this the hill I want to die on? You know, in my first week on the job. So like most women, I think in our jobs, we we just said, oh, oh, okay. That's the way it's going to be. I guess that's the way it is. So I just sort of took it and, you know, different things happened. The men would fly to games, we would bus, you know, they would eat in nice places. We would be at McDonald's. And eventually I decided it was time to speak up. Mm-hmm. because really what was I showing my team if I was taking all this all the time what was I teaching them so that was pretty much the big moment for me when I realized I was a role model I had to do something and let them know that I was fighting for them did you have an expectation
0: early on you know you've talked about how women are treated as the JV team which is still I mean I think that's the most apt analogy except as a JV team that has no chance of graduating diversity. But did you think that, oh, eventually we will catch up, eventually women will be rewarded the same kind of contracts that the men are around the tournament, and eventually we would get the same kind of treatment, and we won't be on buses, but on planes, and it didn't materialize. I mean, you were a coach for 40 years, right?
2: Yeah. But, you know, I think we're all just a little overly optimistic, right? We always think, oh, it'll get better. Oh, this is this is not going to last. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> And then when it doesn't, that's when you speak up and you start to realize, and then we had a lot of success and then things, things changed a little bit, I think, because of that, but still because we don't make any money. And so what
0: was a point where you sort of changed in your approach then and what you were saying
2: publicly? I think the problem with women is we, we always say, well, when I'm successful, that's when I'm going to speak up. You know, when, I, when I've earned the right to speak, that's when I'm going to step up to the plate. And gosh, that's so wrong. I wish I would have started earlier. But we did have success. I had an opportunity. I had a platform at the Final Four. So I had a chance to really speak out on some issues that had been bothering me for years, right, for 30 years. And so to get the opportunity to talk about hiring women, I thought it was something that really needed to be said.
0: What I loved about your presence in that clip was you were like, okay.
2: (laughs) I like, took the deepest breath before I started speaking. And it it's so funny when I looked at it afterwards, I thought, oh, my gosh, you were ready to unleash on somebody.
0: I mean, you were loaded for bear. <laughs> you went back to the ERA, you know, understand this is what's not happened in this country. And I thought she drew the whole arc of the lack of progress. But did you go into that moment thinking, I have the speech I'm going to deliver?
2: You know, I didn't, I had been asked because we had an all-female staff and we were the only all-female staff in the final four. And I had been getting questions about that for some reason. I don't know why that was it's so just something interesting about to that. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> and so it, it just, it started to bother me a little bit, but you know how sometimes it's a little thing that kind of is the straw that broke the camel's back. When we arrived in Tampa for the final four, I get to my hotel room, my husband and I check in and I I'm going to turn on the news, see what's happening. And the TV says, welcome, Matt McGraw. Oh my and God. I was livid. He thought it was hysterical. And, it, you know, it just was like, that's it. That is the kind of thing that those little paper cuts, you know, it's not a big deal taken by itself, but when you put them all together. So I, I think that, that kind of set me off that morning.
0: Yes. Yeah, so then whoever it was that asked you about it, you're pretty loaded for bear. <laughs> the first time I saw it retweeted, it was from my former boss, Barack Obama. So, I know.
2: <laughs> so. How exciting. We really we we wanted to win and go to the White House to see him. And we were so mad that we had to wait till 2018. And of course, we didn't get invited to the White House. And we were still trying to get President Obama to see us in Chicago. Oh, I bet that could be arranged. Bus trip away.
0: He wants to show his support for women's basketball. Yeah. You know, I did notice a lot of NBA players were tweeting about some of the women's games. You know, it's like a very small thing, but it's change. I believe. Yeah, You know, like LeBron James was like all over the women's tournament. He was like tweeting about almost every game. Yes. Russell Wilson's sister is. Sure. Right. She plays for uh, Stanford. She plays. Yeah. So there's, you know, football players available, but there does seem to be. And I noticed it's like a small thing, but I was like, I don't think you would have done that a couple of years ago, Charles Barkley. But Charles Barkley (laughs) and Kenny Smith (laughs) both went out of their way to say like, and what about that great Stanford Cardinal? that Kenny Smith calls on the Cardinals, (laughs) you know, and it was like, oh, right. Let me make sure I congratulate Stanford and talk about how great Arizona was and how great Ada Barnes is. You know, it's like they know this is now something I have to do to be yes. accepted.
2: Exactly, exactly. But how about LeBron is great. I mean, what he yeah. does for the women's game, and he's always promoting the WNBA. You know, started with Kobe. He had daughters that played, you know, so he got involved. Steph Curry's always been real positive. And I think it gives us a little credibility, I think in some ways for people that maybe wouldn't watch. But it's interesting because those are the guys that really support women. It's the people that never played, never coached. They're the ones that don't support us.
0: It makes an impact when the players that you admire are saying, this is something exciting to watch. Did you see that happening at Notre Dame or, or were they just too jealous that you were better than them?
2: <laughs> you know, I think we had great support. We really did. We were very fortunate. And, you know, when your teams get along because we share a practice facility and, and they get to know each other really well, it's, it's always great to have that support. I think it's important to have the support from the coaches also. And, and we got along really well, too.
0: And did you ever work it out so that you had premier practice
2: time? We were absolutely equal. We shared our own court in the practice gym, and then we shared the arena where we played our games. But later, it was equal. It didn't start out that way, but it ended up
0: that way. But winning begets equality, I guess, at least in, the, at least in your Notre Dame experience.
2: Winning covers a multitude of sins. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, time for a quick break. We'll be right back with Coach Muffet McGraw. Welcome back to Just Something About Her. We have Coach Muffet McGraw here to talk about the inconsistencies between the way men and women's sports are valued. One interesting thing I saw was that eight of the 10 most followed NCAA Elite Eight basketball players are women. Yes. Their social following was better than the men's. Right. Do you look at that and see... Hmm. You know, this shows the audience growing. This shows exactly. the demand. People
2: are interested. And when this NIL comes out with name, image, and likeness, which the NCAA is trying to stop, I think. Congress is getting involved. Everybody's trying to get involved. Yeah. Women are going to be able to monetize that. They're going to be able to make some money and use what they have in their celebrity status to do that. And I think it's going to be great. And some of them, you know, there's a volleyball player at Nebraska. There's some basketball players at University of San Francisco that have like a million followers on TikTok and different things. And they're not even great players. I mean, they're not known for their sports so much as just the other things they do.
0: But it shows that there's an audience. It shows that there could be a demand. Absolutely. Can you explain some of that? There's a lot that's happening right now. You know, there's a court case before the Supreme Court about NCAA athletes being paid. There's the, the name and likeness, you know, <laughs> for the listeners to this podcast, which is not a sports podcast, <laughs> kind of shed some light on what's, because it seems a pretty pivotal moment.
2: When you're a college athlete and you're getting a scholarship, you're not allowed to get any money from any other source. Even to the point of, there was times when, teams would be trying to put out a calendar to raise some money for the homeless shelter. And like, oh no, you can't use your likeness. You can't use your image. You can't make any money off of your fame. And so actually it was some athletes that took them to court and said, that's not right. We want to be able to make some money. And so now it's, every state came out with a different idea. So they're trying to get the federal government involved and the NCAA is trying to get involved to say, this is what the rule is going to be. So right now you still can't make any money, but when this passes, which everybody thinks it will, it's actually not going to be a great thing for amateur sports because there's going to be some schools, some places, some football schools, or, you know, the local car dealership is going to pay a hey, $10,000 to do an ad for this. And what it was supposed to be was about these things that are happening now with some of the women that are on social media. Or maybe you have a great idea for a product and you want to do something. You're an entrepreneur and you think, yeah, I'm going to go into this business. Like you couldn't do that before. But when you open up the whole thing, I think it's really going to be like the wild, wild west and there's going to be agents involved and it's going to take away, I think, a little bit from the amateur status. But I do think the women should be monetizing their ability to do that and making some money off of themselves.
0: What was the experience like at Notre Dame? Because I think it was unusual in that there are some teams where the women's basketball is more popular than men's basketball. Yes. When did that happen? At what point did that happen? And how was that reflected in your fan base and revenue? I know you were paid more than the men's coach but he ended up somehow with more money. So like, that's another perverse incentive. (laughs) Let's shed some light on that coach. Um, (laughs) But how did that process of the women reaching prominence happen? Sounds like maybe they were just great.
2: We got a really good recruit who was a local girl, Skylar Diggins from a local school and the community really kind of embraced that. And then we started going to final fours. You know, we went to seven of nine over the last decade. So it really started to grow from the community. We'd never got the student support. We got the seniors support, the senior citizens' support. We've got oh, young so families. so people in
0: South Bend.
2: Yeah, they loved our team. Hmm. And in the women's game, you want to identify with the players. So we'd had the players out doing community service work. They'd be speaking at schools. They'd be going out and, and being just out in the public eye so that people could get to know them a little bit and create that bond. And so they would come and, and watch our games. And I think that eventually, because we were pretty good, We started to sell out, and then suddenly we were getting more attendance than the men. Of course, they charged a lot more for their tickets, so they still probably ended up making a lot more money than we did. But it was fun to see how great the marketing and the promotions and just how important the fans are.
0: And how did the women react to that? You know, was that a real p- source of, of pride for them, your players? Very
2: much so. It was a great And You know, I think my job is about empowering women and building confidence. That was so important to me. And so we always talked about things. And if we were in the arena and the men were getting set for a game and they were giving out pom-poms or something, the team was automatically like, coach, what's going on with that? Do we get pom-poms? We make sure we have equality. So I think I trained them pretty well to uh, speak up.
0: I like watching the men and the women both. I'm not someone who shuns men's basketball. I enjoy watching them both. But I got to say, you know, watching Arizona was the most exciting thing to me. I mean, the men's final four, the Gonzaga-UCLA game was phenomenal. But in terms of watching a group of athletes, watching that team have so much bravado and swagger and an amazing coach and not supposed to do as well as they did, I was like, that is compelling sports, yes, <laughs> and they're like enormously skilled. But part of the game is the personality of the players. Mm-hmm.
2: I love that swagger too, Ari McDonald. I mean, she's like five five, right? And to have an underdog team that everybody can get behind, and to see their coach, you know, who's carrying her child like on and off the court because she's still breastfeeding, and then she, you know she had to count her in the team limit; they couldn't bring extra people because of that. And there's just so many little things that are great reasons to get behind the game. So many great games, so exciting to watch. And it's just getting to be that we have more parody and so much more excitement.
0: Have you seen women players, their attitudes change over the years? I mean, just my own very amateurish read is like, I, I see them becoming more confident, more dramatic, more showy in a good way. You know, some women are, you know, they do up their hair and their makeup is perfect and it never smears. And they are like, (laughs) I am putting on a performance. I am on all levels making this a great show and giving this all I have. But have you seen their sort of confidence level change over the years?
2: Oh, completely. It's been amazing. And you know what? When you watch the women's national soccer team, they had some swagger. And people watch that and people would comment on it, you know, in a negative way because, oh, well, of course the men can do it, but the women can't. But I've noticed with my team that I love that swagger because I was always kind of like, just do your job, you know, just go about your job. We don't have to show the world, you know, what we're doing. And then I thought, well, why not? They're having fun out there. Let them enjoy themselves and really bring the crowd into it. And it makes it more exciting.
0: It's a good show, you know? It is. I think this generation of women, I think they're not too young to have not seen the 99ers. They saw the women's soccer team from 99, right? The WNBA has been around their entire lifetime. Yep, Mm -hmm. That probably has an impact. They've seen, you know, not be on par with the men in terms of coverage, but they've had this modeled for them, what it looks like. And they enjoy watching the men too. And the men have that kind of swagger. But yeah, normally women are like, oh, don't be showy. That's bad. Yeah. Right. But I love that these women embrace it.
2: Well, you had so much experience working with Hillary and trying to walk that tightrope of, you know, trying to, be all the things that a leader can be, but don't go overboard because we're supposed to be team players. We have to be humble. You know, we have so many more things that we have to do as opposed to what men just, they just go out and be themselves. And we're, we're walking this fine line of not being too much.
0: The thing with the tightrope is you fall off immediately and you can never walk it. Yeah. And how do you feel about, you know, at the WNBA level? Right. So, you know, some of these women are going to go on, you know, they have the opportunity to be professional athletes. Average pay in 2019 for a WNBA player was around $116,000, like decent living, right? Mm -hmm. Right out of school. But NBA players were paid about (laughs) $7.5 million.
2: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, Kathy Engelbert was the CEO of Deloitte, and she has come over to be the president of the WNBA, and she's brought a business background, and she played basketball at Lehigh. So she has both and a love of the game. She's making big changes. She's already upped the salary for the core players. You know, the really good players, and each team has just maybe a couple of those. And then she's changing things in travel. They have to fly commercial and play on the same day that they're traveling. They fly in, play the game. Oh my god! You know, stay overnight, fly out commercial, go to another game. There were so many problems with that. So she's trying to keep them here because you know the girls go to Europe. They make a lot of money over there. So in the winter, they're playing in Europe. They come back here, they play in the summer. Their bodies are are beaten down because they're playing year round. They don't have that time to rest. So hopefully she's making big changes and I think things are going to be better.
0: What else do you think the fans can do? You know, people that want to do everything they can to be demonstrably supportive of women's athletics to show that the market demand is there.
2: Yeah. And I think just coming out to the games is important. However, you know, we only get 4% of media attention across the board. You just aren't going to see us on SportsCenter. You're not going to see women getting a lot of attention no matter what the sport. And so I think that we could complain. You could write letters to people or tell people, email them, go on social media and talk about why aren't we seeing more women's games either on TV or why aren't they represented on SportsCenter?
0: Yeah, was ESPN did a great job covering it and the games were exciting. But, you know, I noticed when, when the Final Four started for the women, you know, I thought it was great that they had a video of the captain of the team to introduce each of her teammates. Um, and I was like, oh, that's great. Until I saw the men on Saturday night when the... <laughs> Jim Goes Dark (laughs) and the dramatic music and the spotlight. And you're like, it just filled me with rage. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's it's so
0: simple to do that for the women. And they would be awesome at it, by the way. They would come out with so much bravado and dancing. And, you know, I don't know if it's because the men don't have to work so hard for it, but I feel like those women players are putting on a show.
2: Yes. Yeah. We deserve better. We yeah. absolutely do. And yeah. it, it is, it's, it's hard when you see them back to back like that, isn't it? To go Like, oh, dang, I thought everything was cool. And then you're like, oh boy, there's no collaboration at the NCAA. They don't talk about, oh, this is what we're doing for the men. Why don't you do this for the women? I feel
0: like the NCAA should hire me as a consultant. I, I could, think that'd like,
2: be a great idea. I would <laughs> highly recommend you. <laughs> I
0: could easily sort this out for you. It's not that complicated. <laughs> Coach McGraw, thank you so much. This is fantastic. Oh, I really enjoyed it, Jennifer.
2: I I follow you on Twitter I listen to all your podcasts
0: (laughs) Siri there I am
1: what'd you think of that
0: oh well I mean I loved it (laughs) like it, it just sports is just such a great way to explore these questions and it really is it's like you just can't get pissed off enough. I know. It's like That's like my big takeaway. My big takeaway is like you cannot complain about this loud enough or often enough because unless you – Get at the root of it. It's never going to change.
1: Yeah, she was saying that when she gave that speech in 2019, or not a speech, really, it was just an answer to a question, which she didn't realize how riled up she was getting until she watched it um, a few years later. So I thought that was really funny. Yeah. But I did want to clarify a few things, because to me, one of the most interesting things that she said was how it didn't used to be that there were men coaching the women. That was only something that happened after Title IX, I actually looked it up and I saw women were head coaches of more than 90% of women's college teams before Title IX. And then as she mentioned, you know, the law created more jobs and many of those jobs went to men. And now only 40% of women's college teams are coached by women. So I think that is really an interesting historical context. And then the other side note being that only 3% of men's college teams are coached by women.
0: It's interesting that Title IX just like changed so much, but it also opened an avenue for men. And I remember thinking at the time like, oh, Gina Auriemma, it's cool that there's a guy coaching the women because it means that the sport's being taken seriously. And then you're like, oh my God, what (laughs) have I been thinking? Or it's cool. You've been
1: conditioned to see it as something positive for women, but obviously there's always some other backdoor way that it's a positive for men. Yeah, And I just really liked the idea of that We could have made college sports an example. We can also make Little League an example.
0: Yeah, moms be soccer coaches, mom be Little League coaches and, you know, moms, dads taking their kids to watch the women play.
1: Right. You know, going back to what's going on in college right now, I wanted to expand upon what Coach McGaw was talking about, because there's two, I think, big things that are happening in college sports. Both centered around the fact that, as she mentioned, college athletes can't make any money aside from scholarship money and school expenses. And so the big one is whether they should get paid for their name, image and likeness, which is basically using their name and self for publicity. And it sounds like Coach McGraw is a little torn on that, too, because it would change the amateurism. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. She seemed pretty torn about, yeah. you know, like understanding what the athletes are do and how women may come out on the short end of that, too.
1: Exactly. Because I think a lot of the promotional, the organizations that want to use college athletes for promotion would turn to the boys' sports first, the men's sports. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think this is complicated stuff, but the great thing about Coach McGraw is reminding us just like, you know, the power of your own example and to take responsibility if you don't see change happening the way that it should.
1: Changing the system from within. And a little push from the outside. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: This is Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Thank you to Muffet McGraw for being on the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcasts app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineer this podcast. Jessica Williams handles research. Stephanie Stender is our post-producer. Sari Soffer is our producer. And Christian Castor Rossell is our executive producer.